Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 144. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. With me in the studio today is... Who are you? Sophie. Sophie's guest hosting today. Uh, She's just sleepy from all the Halloween candy and wanted something to do. It's our Halloween episode, Sophie. Ooh. Ooh. Are you scared? No. Darn it. It is almost Halloween as we're recording this. What are you going to be for Halloween? A cat. cat. Wait, that's news. Wait, a cat? Yeah. Since when are you going to be a cat? I've always wanted to be a cat. Since, what, four minutes ago? No, since two days ago. Oh, a whole two days ago? Yes. What kind of cat do you want to be? A black cat with sparkly pink ears. Seriously? Yes. Why? Because cats are cute. Alright. If Henry was here, I'd ask him what he was going to be. Do you know what he's going to be? I think he's going to be a pirate. Is he still stuck on pirate? He's been on that for a while. Yeah. Bug, what are you going to be for Halloween? She's going to be a cat. Bug's going to be a cat, too? Yeah. Do they know who Bug is? Yeah. Bug's been on the show lots. Haven't you, Bug? Arf! (laughs) That was Bug, everybody. I am old and boring, so I'm not being anything for Halloween, except a tired, old, boring person. (laughs) Alright, well, should we get on with the show? Yes. Well, we'll start things off, as we always do, with that real-life spooktacular goblin of the... Of space. Goblin in space. Or wannabe in space. That's right. It's time for one of these. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Sophie, do you remember who Mad Mike Hughes is? He's angry. He's angry? Yeah. What is he angry about? I don't know. You remember? Mad is in his name. Good point. So, Mad Mike Hughes is this dude out in California who built a rocket in his backyard to shoot him up into space to so that he could take pictures of, of the Earth to help prove or disprove that the Earth is flat. He got a bunch of money from people who believe the Earth is flat. He built a rocket that shot him like 1,800 feet in the sky. And then he crashed. And supposedly he's been trying to raise money to build another rocket that'll shoot him like a bunch of miles up into the, the, the upper atmosphere, which is just almost to space. So that he can see more of the Earth and find out for himself if the Earth is flat. But mostly what he does now is he makes videos of himself pretending to run for governor of California. And he wrote a really bad book, which folks who've been listening to the show for a while know that I bought a copy for four bucks of Mad Mike's biography, and but it's so awful that I can't finish reading it. Uh, so let's, let's see what he has posted on his Facebook page. He posted a link to his Daniel Tosh, Tosh 2.0 or whatever that show in Comedy Central is called. He was on there. He posted a link to that interview. He posted a link to the CBS This Morning show. Uh, I think I mentioned that last week. I just happened to catch that interview uh, that Sunday morning that it was on. I have not watched the Daniel Tosh interview. I have no real desire to do so. But if any of you have, let me know. 
October 4th, he posted a, an announcement of his appearance at the Surf City Blitz. Join me for a weekend of music, sports, punk rock, and politics. Come to my booth and learn how you can waste it. 2018. That's his election slogan. It has been hashtag California, hashtag governor, hashtag politics, hashtag vote, hashtag punks with an X, hashtag rocket man, hashtag noise, hashtag noise TV. They're the ones who are producing those all those videos he keeps putting out. October 27th. So, the day before this episode drops, I think. Uh, or thereabouts. If any of you went to this, of course, I want to know that too. Uh, yeah, so, as is increasingly the case, very little actual flat earth stuff or actual science in these posts. He's mostly just milking his 15 minutes of fame as best he can. Well, good on you, Mike. But, uh, thankfully, that means we can end this segment of the Mad Mike Hughes update. Unless you have anything else you want to say about him. No. Fair enough. There is one more, I forgot, there is one more thing that we can post that we can talk about with Mad Mike. I got an email from Richard Valdez. Hi, Richard. Who's Richard? The guy who emailed me. He's a listener. He's also a Patreon supporter. So, we we liked Richard. We like all of you listening. But Richard wrote to me, Hey, Bill. So, I'm a Patreon supporter of yours, and I'm writing to tell you, and maybe inform Mad Mike himself, of California's election process and the problem with Mad Mike's run for governor. As I mentioned, he keeps posting these things on Facebook, videos of him purportedly running for governor. I don't know if he actually is, or if he wants to be a write-in candidate, or what, but Richard has thoughts on this. So, please continue, Richard. In 2010, California passed Proposition 14, which instituted basically an open primary and top two general election process. The link will explain all of this, but there's a problem with Mad Mike Hughes' run for governor. Basically, you can't add a write-in candidate during the general election. Maybe Mad Mike should have considered adding his name for the primary election, which occurred in June. If Mad Mike wants to have people, quote, waste their vote, close quote, or whatever, parentheses, I'm, to be honest, I'm not going to his Facebook site or read his book or anything since I think he's a freaking idiot, and because you're doing it for me. <laughs> My dollar a month helped pay a quarter of his biography, right? It's a good point, Richard, and thanks again for your donation. He should just tell people not to vote for Gavin Newsom or John Cox. It's not a rule that says you have to vote for everything on the ballot. Okay, enough about California Mad Mike. It's headache-inducing. Thanks for the show. Keep up the good work. I hear you, Richard. Mike gives me a headache, too. How about you, Sophie? How's your head? My brain hurts. <laughs> Sophie, do you know, you know about elections a little bit, right? Yeah. Basically, what's an election? How do people, how do people run for something? They say, I'm going to run for president. But they have to, like, sign up, basically, right? They have to, say, they have yeah, to announce it. Yeah, there's a little sign-up sheet at the mall. At the mall? Well, not necessarily at the mall, but there's a little sign-up sheet, and you just write your name down. Well, I suppose it depends on the election. But basically, you have to, you have to register as a candidate. But sometimes what people will do is they're not registered candidates. They want, they want to... Sometimes they actually do want to win the election, but sometimes they really just want to get attention for whoever they are or whatever issue they want people to think about. So they want to be a write-in candidate. Or people decide on their own that they'd rather have somebody who isn't already on the ballot. You know what the ballot is, right? Yes. What's the ballot? It's the little piece of paper that has all the candidates, and then you pick one. So, But sometimes you can write in somebody else's name. That's called a write-in candidate. But um, what if they don't want to be written in? Uh, sometimes it doesn't matter. 
they get their name written in anyway. Usually write-in candidates don't actually win anything. What if they write my name in it? <laughs> Do you want to be governor? No. In our state, the, if this is a gubernatorial election, meaning the governor's up for election too, so maybe you could be governor of our state. But I don't know anything about governing the state. And there's the problem. Matt Mike Hughes doesn't know anything either, but he's trying to be governor. Is he actually trying to be governor? Well, that's the big question that Richard and I are asking. I don't think he wants to be governor. I don't think he wants to be governor either. I, I think, think he wants attention. I do too. I like attention too. <laughs> Mad Mike has many things in common with a 13-year-old girl. <laughs> um, that's not good though. <laughs> yeah, so Richard, I hear you. I wish I hadn't spent the four bucks on the book. Thanks for helping pay for some of that. Um, that makes me feel a little bit better, although I feel bad for you. So, I don't know what else to say, what else to say about this. I assume at some point Mike will, uh, his 15 minutes will be up, and he'll just go back to doing whatever he was doing before anyone cared about him. But for right now, we just kind of have to suffer through it, as we do with so many things in the world right now. Bye, right. Richard. Bye, Richard. Thanks again for being a Patreon supporter. Any of you guys would like to kick in a little bit of money uh, to help support the show. I mean, I do have this uh, book debt to pay off. It, you know, it costs a little money to produce a podcast. So if you guys would like to consider doing that, check out the Atari Bytes B-Y-T-E-S page on patreon.com. Uh, I will, of course, put a link in, to that in the show notes. All right, now, Sophie, do you have anything else to say about Mad Mike? No. Fair enough. Let's close the book on Mad Mike for this week. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Okay. Sophie, you like Sesame Street, right? Yeah, Cookie Monster. Yeah, you like Cookie Monster. You guys, you and Henry were, were not really Sesame Street kids when you were little. Not that you didn't like Sesame Street, but we didn't watch a lot of Sesame Street for whatever reason, I don't think. What were you doing to my childhood? <laughs> that is an excellent question. I watched Sesame Street when I was little, and I turned out okay. Right? Right? You sure. <laughs> Good answer. But Sesame Street's been around since 1969, and for 50 of those years, a dude named Carol Spinney did the puppeteering for Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. <gasps> and Both until, of them? Yeah, and until recently, well, recently he had to stop doing the, the putting on the Big Bird costume because it was too huge and it was too hot, and, and he's 84 years old, Carol Spinney is, so he hasn't been doing the, the actual physical work of it, but he's been doing the voices still for Big Bird and Oscar. And he recently announced his retirement. So we here at Atari Bytes want to say thanks for everything, Carol Spinney. You know, enjoy your retirement. I think this just this past week, on Thursday, he had his last day of filming at Sesame Street. And they had a big party for him and everything. He evidently will still be around. I, I didn't know this, but Sesame Street apparently has a huge presence at Comic-Con every year. Uh, and then other, you know, events around the country. So. Well, duh, it's Sesame Street. Well, duh, it's Sesame Street. So, thanks again, Carol Spinney. Um, you, you done good. I really wish I could do a bit bird or an Oscar voice now to cap this off, but I can't. I don't do impressions. So, uh, insert your own bit bird voice here. All right, what else is going on? 
this is kind of cool. I read that NASA has uh, been lately, lately naming constellations. Really, really, really distant stars. And it caught my attention because they named one after the TARDIS from Doctor Who. Daddy loves his Doctor Who. Daddy loves his Doctor Who. The people listening to this show know that because I talk about Doctor Who a lot. Of course you do. Yeah, that will shock you, I know. See if I can find the article here. These are gamma ray star configurations. Unveiled by space agency NASA to celebrate 10 years of activity for the Fermi Gamma Ray Space Telescope. The collection of unofficial constellations also includes one named after the Incredible Hulk and another inspired by the Starship Enterprise from Star Trek, obviously, and one called Godzilla. Iconic landmarks and attractions have also been used to name uh, the constellations from Mount Fuji in Japan to Vasa, Sweden's magnificent recovered warship. You can't just walk outside you know, in your backyard and look up and see any of these because they're way too far away. But Fermilab has a, an interactive celestial map. Fermi is a car-sized spacecraft that has helped astronomers better understand the gamma ray universe. So that's very cool. I have not gone to look at that interactive map. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big astronomy nerd. Uh, I took astronomy courses in college. I liked the subject matter. I liked learning about the constellations, but I had a real hard time actually finding them in the sky, even the ones that you can see. I don't know. Just something about my brain made it really hard. I spent a lot of nights up on top of the uh, science and astronomy building at the university trying to, with my little map, trying to mark on there where the constellations were. Uh, it was really hard. And over the years, I've had a couple different telescopes, and I've tried to get into it, because uh, I think it is interesting. But I, I just, my brain doesn't work that way. But I think this is very cool. Uh, I like the idea of nerds being nerdy. Uh, let's see, one more thing. I was Facebooking about something recently. Maybe it was Twitter. I don't know. And someone directed my attention to a clip from the old Barney Miller sitcom. You have, Sophie, no idea what Barney Miller is, do you? I know what Barney is. <laughs> Different Barney. There was a TV show in the 1970s set in a police station in New York. And the show was called Barney Miller because the guy, the captain of the station was named Barney, Mil Barney Miller. And on YouTube, there's a clip from that show where these characters are talking about missile command. And this guy's saying, this one cop is saying to another cop how great Missile Command is. And it just warmed my heart because it was a, a, a contemporary reference because at that time Atari was a contemporary thing like PlayStation or Xbox now. And they talked about Missile Command because of all the games they could pick, Missile Command is my favorite. I really like Missile Command. I th Oh, wait, wait, wait. I think. Here, I'll hold this up to the... Can everyone see? I'm wearing, see I'm wearing you. my Missile Command socks today. They look like bacon and eggs. Wait, are these my Missile Command socks? What does it say on the other side, Sophie? It doesn't say anything. I thought it did. Anyway, I've got Missile Command socks, and they're very cool. So, I was excited to see that. Go to YouTube, you know, type in Barney Miller. I'm not even sure what else you have to type. Maybe Barney Miller Missile Command or something. And you will see pure nerdy joy in a, a retro, now retro, sitcom. There you go. Let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is... Sonic Sisters, the world's first double-ender. Two separate video games in one cartridge. On one end, whose banner awaits. Battle the axe-wielding mummy, evil spirits, deadly moving walls. 
tentacles, challenge five game screens. On the other end, conquer Spike's Peak, fight off bears, diving eagles, abominable snowmen, and equally awesome game super sound effects, tough action, excellent graphics, five different screens. Zonix Double Ender, Ghost Manor, and Spike's Peak. Twice the fun for the price of one. In stores now. What game are we playing this week, Sophie? Ghost Manor. This is a game from Zonix. I guess that's how you say it. That came out in 1983. How do you play this game, Sophie? What do you do in the game? You move your joystick. Thank you. I might elaborate on that a little bit. Is that okay? <laughs> I guess so. Okay. Well, the manual has a kind of little story. You know, we always like it when they make an effort to give us a little story. You, either a girl or a boy, your choice, which is very progressive of them for 1983, stand in a lonely graveyard outside Ghost Manor. A friend is trapped inside. Ah! You must find a way to enter the manor and rescue the prisoner through five game screens. But beware! Unfriendly ghosts lurk behind tombstones. Witches and goblins haunt the entryway. And demons, ghastly spirits, demons and ghastly spirits may attack at any moment. It's very dark. Only brief flashes of lightning aid you in your search for the magical coffin. Remember, finding your friend is only half the game. You must then find a safe way out. Good luck! We're using the uh, joystick for this one. This game is one of the double-ender games that Zonix liked to do for a while. The other end being Spike's Peak. To prolong the life of your Zonix double-ender, you may want to use the dust cover provided to protect the game and not in use. When not in use. The game end not in use. Be nice if I could talk today. I don't have that protector thing. When I got this game, I think I must have found it on eBay or something. Uh, I just got the game. Use the left joystick controller, one player at a time only. Hold the joystick with the red button in the upper left position. Set both difficulty, difficulty switches to B to begin with. Uh, that I believe is the novice setting. And then we're told, it's a stormy night. I really wanted them to write here. It's a dark and stormy night. Courtesy of Snoopy, the world-famous author. But they don't. They just say, it's a stormy night. I guess maybe they're worried about Snoopy suing them for copyright infringement. It's a stormy night with lightning flashes all around. A scary challenge awaits you in Ghost Manor. Your friend is being held prisoner by Dracula. Inside the eerie... Hold on. Dracula doesn't strike me like a hostage taker. No. Yeah. What would Dracula normally do? He would go in the little kid's bedroom and be like the scary shadow. Yeah, he'd be a scary shadow, and then he would bite you and turn you into a, a vampire. Yeah, he's not a kidnapper. He's not a kidnapper. This is dumb, Zonix. Daddy, be nice. Sorry, I guess I need more Halloween candy. Your friend is being held prisoner by Dracula. What evs? Inside the eerie ghost manor castle. At night, as night falls, your job is to rescue your friend held prisoner by Dracula. They just said that. And escape from the castle. All before dawn. A friendly ghost will help you at first. But beware of the guardian spooks, bats, skulls, scorpions, and the evil chopping mummy. Find crosses and treasure points hidden in caskets in the castle maze along the way to save your friend. Bug does not know the etiquette of recording a podcast. She's being kind of noisy. The outro of the game is to rescue your friend. We said that many times already. While collecting as many points as possible, duh, before the time runs out. The highest score wins. There are five play screens in the game. The object of the game... Okay, we, we've covered that many times. Play with the left joystick controller. The top line of numbers on the screen is your points. The hourglass in the center shows how much time you have. You only get four minutes to play this game. There are eight grains of sand in the glass. 
each worth 30 seconds of play. Shots counter in the, left, in the lower left indicates the number of spears collected on the first play screen. So basically you chase this uh, skeleton around, play tag, and every time you, you tag the skeleton you get another spear. And you have to collect as many of those of you, as you can to take with you to the castle. And there's a counter in the lower left corner indicating how many spears you have. And the shots remaining in the second play screen. Spear tokens above the shot counter indicate every 10 shots collected. A maximum of two spear tokens will display. The lamp token in the lower right corner tells you that you have the lantern for use inside the castle to light the way. The cross token indicates how many crosses you possess to repel Dracula. A maximum of three crosses will display. Why a cross? Why not a uh, wooden stake? Anyway, use the color black and white switch to select your player as a girl or boy. Color for girl, rescuing a boy. Black and white for boy rescuing a girl. There are four difficulty levels. Set the switches before you start to play. Once the game has begun, the difficulty sweating is locked in place. One for easy, two for medium, three for hard, and four for hardest. B for novice, A for expert. Difficulty switch settings have the following effects in each play screen. On screen one, the difficulty level selects whether you get a rainbow ghost or bones, the tag partner. The number of shots needed to advance to the next screen ranges from 25 shots for the easy setting and 10 shots for the hardest. On screen two, difficulty level selection affects the speed of evil chopping mummy. On screens three and four, the right difficulty switch lights the lamp in a B novice position. The left difficulty switch sets the speed of the moving wall. And on screen five, the A, uh, rather the difficulty switch affects the speed of Dracula chasing you. And there's more about difficulty settings, but you can look that up yourself. Note, to owners of Sears Telegames Video Arcade, difficulty is called skill. Oh, we should pour one out for Sears. By the way, if you're drinking whiskey while you're listening to this podcast, first of all, I envy you. Secondly, you know, make a toast to Sears because they uh, they declared bankruptcy this week. So that's very sad. All right. So we mentioned there are five screens. The first screen is the graveyard screen, where you play tag with the friendly rainbow ghost or bones the skeleton, depending on what difficulty level you're on. The second screen is the gate in front of the ghost manor castle, where you got to avoid the chopping mummy while you shoot the spooks by hurling your spears that you collected on the first screen. Third screen is the first floor inside the castle. Lightning flashes in the night, which is your only visible guide unless you happen to have the lamp lighted, which I think depends on the difficulty level that you're playing. A maze of corridors and rooms with caskets. Uh, touch the casket just right. I'm t- telling them all the stuff that we didn't get to see. Because in the field report, you know, spoilers, we never made it past the entry to the castle. There's a moving wall that can crush you to death, and the stairs lead to the next room, which is the second floor inside the castle, screen four of the game. More elaborate mazes, more caskets. Watch your time, because you're going to run out. And then take the stairs to the f- fifth screen, the prison atop the castle. Ooh. I know, pretty darn exciting. Here's the prison holding your friend. And the sinister guard, Dracula! You must imprison Dracula to free your friend by using the crosses to repel Dracula. Beware, he follows your every move, which seems dumb. If you're trying to get him with a cross, he should be avoiding your every move, but all right. Rescue your friend and get to safety down the stairs before time runs out. Remember, for the whole game, you get four minutes. That's it. For the whole game? Apparently, because you have a little hourglass counting down your time. Conclusion. Back to the graveyard. As dawn breaks, you will be returned to the graveyard if... Victorious, a merry melody plays and you rejoice with your friend. If you lost, which we did, both of you are doomed to descend into the ground with the tombstones. Oh! Alright. 
and that is how you play Ghost Manor. Is that scary? No. Darn it. Keep working on it. Everyone's a critic. So we said Zonix released Ghost Manor in 1983 for the 2600 and the VIC-20. Usually packaged as a double-ended cartridge and a cassette tape, along with one of three other games in an effort to appeal to budget-conscious buyers who had purchased two games for the price of one cartridge and one cassette tape. There was also a more limited release of single-ended cartridges and cassette tapes containing a Ghost Manor by itself. The double-ended cartridges, 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 I can't say it. <laughs> cartridges and cassette tapes paired Ghost Manor with the platform game Spike's Peak, the fighting game Chuck Norris Super Kicks, and a strategy game called Artillery Duel. It was originally intended to be released for the 2600 ColecoVision, the VIC-20, and the Commodore 64, and licensed to third-party software companies for release on other systems. The final releases, however, were only for the 2600 and the VIC-20. NerdBacon.com gave the game 8 out of 10 in a review written by somebody calling himself Space Invader, in which he notes that modern video games and horror video games are all over the place, basically. But in the old days, programmers were wary about trying to convey any sense of fear on the technology available well into the 16-bit era. 8-bit horror games are a steal. Even if Ghost, Ma if Ghost Manor wasn't a good game, the fact that it's horror-themed would give it a pass in my book, and indeed the book of anyone who gives uh, something or other about the old Atari VCS. The graphics in Ghost Manor are outstanding. As I've written elsewhere, he says, back in the 2600 days, if your character has a shirt a different color than his pants, it's a big deal. By that rubric, the protagonists in Ghost Manor are a huge deal. The opening scene, the graveyard uh, uh, with the manor out in the distance, is a thing of 8-bit beauty. The rest of the scenes get the job done, but they really aren't much to see by comparison. These levels are designed to be played in pitch black with the occasional bolt of lightning revealing your surroundings. Even if you get through the game once, you can go back and do it all again, playing for a score or tinkering with the difficulty switches to get different versions of the game. If you're cool enough to have a 2600 lying around, plug Ghost Manor in before tricks or treats. It's worth it. Zonix, which I was not familiar with, it turns out was a division of KTEL Software, an American third-party manufacturer of cartridges for the 2600 ColecoVision, Commodore 64, and the VIC-20 in the early 80s. Zonix was one of many small, small video companies to fold during the video game crash of 83. It was based in Minnesota and capitalized on the novelty and perceived value of double-ender cartridges, which could be inserted in the console on one of the two ends, each end offering a different game. Zonix was not the first company to try it. Playaround was the first, apparently, with their adult-themed titles. Zonix eventually abandoned the idea and began releasing single versions of some of the titles previously offered as double-enders, as well as a few notes, uh, a few new titles, although it sounds like it was maybe too little too late, given the, the video game crash. Alright, well, after the break, knock knock, who's there? Boo. Boo who? Your mother didn't tell you about me? I'm Boo Thomas Johnson III. I'm your father. Ah, forget it. That's what I get for becoming a Jedi Force ghost. I'm so scared being out here in the graveyard all by myself. I hope Sophie comes back pretty soon. Sophie, where are you? I'm right here. Oh, good. But wait, we're still stuck in the graveyard. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right, so we're playing Ghost Manor. We see the boy and the girl 
in the graveyard. Sophie defaulted to the girl. She's doing the field report this time, playing tag with the uh, skeleton. The uh, sprites for the girl look really good. The skeleton looks kind of fun and whimsical. It moves really fast for a you know, bunch of dead bones. Uh, Sophie's collecting her spears. What do you think of the look of this opening screen, Sophie? It looks funny. It looks funny? Yeah. How? I don't know. It doesn't look like a graveyard. Well, no. I, it's basically just green, which indicates the grass, and then a bunch of gray squares. Gray rectangles that are supposed to be tombstones, I guess. You kind of got to use your imagination a little bit, but this was 1983. Oh, now we made it to the... Ooh, you got mummy chopped. <laughs> we should put that on a t-shirt. Do you want to try it again? Yeah. Alright, try it again. You done been mummy chopped. I'm putting that on a t-shirt. <laughs> right, hit the reset button. We've been playing this a little bit before the show today. Uh, we really haven't progressed beyond the uh, castle gate. Maybe this time will be the charm. As they say, 48 times is the charm. <laughs> There's the castle off in the distance. You don't have any spears yet. It's the heart. Why are you... That mummy's laughing at you. Or that, that skeleton's laughing at you. It's going, ha ha, you can't catch me. Oh good, you caught him once. Twice. Three times, four times, five. We don't get to see much of it, but what do you think of the uh, entrance to the castle when we get there? It's scary. It's scary. Why is it scary? Because it's this oddly shaped mummy dude and these flying animals. The chopping mummy? Yeah. You done been chopped. To see? I'm going to put that on a shirt. No, you're not. I also, it also makes me really want to watch uh, the Doctor Who episode Mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah, we're just not good at that part. <laughs> oh, well. You know what we say now, right? You done mummy chop. <laughs> well, yes, we say that now. And we also say, back to you in the studio. Back to you in the studio. Hey, Atari fans. This is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Card by Card podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. So here's the thing about Ghost Manor. Sophie, do we like Ghost Manor? We like Ghost Manor. Do we? Wow, that was enthusiastic, dude. Why do we like it so much? We didn't do very well. I don't know. Do you think if you played it more, you'd do better? Yes. Do you think it's a game that possibly you would play more? I don't know. Well, I mean, if you were bored or something, you were looking for something to do, you think you might sit down and play Ghost Manor some more? Sure. Why? I think, is it fair to say you're not necessarily a big Atari game fan? Yes. Okay. But what is it about this game that you actually like? You ask too many questions. I'm a podcaster. It's what I do. I think the game really looks good. And I think the sound is good. It's got kind of that creepy thing going, you know? Sophie's yawning in the middle of this podcast. That's not a good sign. Anyway, I really like the game. Sophie wandered away again. While she's recording a podcast, she's also keeping an eye on a loaf of 
pumpkin bread in the oven. So she's very, very busy. Um, so we will pause for this important event. Well, this is the point in this show where we tell a story, Sophie. We're not done yet. <laughs> no, we're not done yet. This is the fun part. Alright, it's Halloween. Uh-huh. And we're playing a ghost, we played a ghost game. So I think we need a ghost story, Sophie. So hit us with a ghost story. There was a ghost. And it was the ghost of a pineapple. And... Just any ghost story, or does it have to be one about the game? Whatever you want, Sophie. Okay. There was a ghost of a pineapple named Patricia. And she got eaten, and that's why she's a ghost. You got eaten? Yeah, because she's a pineapple. Oh. Were you not listening? Can ghosts have pineapples? Can ghosts, can pineapples be ghosts? <laughs> yeah. Why? Why can people be ghosts? Because they have souls. And How do you know a pineapple doesn't have a soul? They can talk. And they have personalities and stuff. How do you know a pineapple doesn't have can't talk? So, does that make you feel bad about eating pineapple all the time? No. <laughs> Alright. So, Patricia the pineapple, who ate her? I ate her. You ate her. Alright, she came back as a ghost? Yes. Okay, now what happened? And then, I was sleeping one night. And then she came into my room, Patricia did, and she was like, hey. Wait, how did she do that? She used her little pineapple legs and walked Pineapples don't have legs. How do you know they don't have I've legs? I've seen lots of pineapples. No Maybe legs. Maybe when you're not looking, their little legs go, but you. Well, that's not creepy at all. <laughs> and they walk around the house. Freaky, man. <laughs> it's just the story, Daddy. So the pineapple ghost comes into your room. Yeah, she says, you ate me, I'm mad at you. And then I try to eat her because it's pineapple. <laughs> Cause, Can duh. you eat a ghost pineapple? Now, hold on. All right, all right. And then I just bite my tongue because there's nothing there. Ouch. Except the pineapple ghost. And, and then she says bye. And she walks away. That's it? That's all the ghost pine. The ghost pineapple bothers to come back and haunt you? And she just like, eh, all right, see ya. No, she got mad because I tried to eat her again. I know, she didn't do anything. She said hi, and then she left. No, she said hi, and then I tried to eat her. She goes, meow, 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 And then she goes, bye. And she walks away. Why did she try to eat you or something? She's a scary pineapple ghost. How do you want, she's not scary, she's just a pineapple. So she's okay with you eating her? No. Okay, so she's... You're not listening. She's just, I figured she was going to do something to you. No. It's a ghost story. Not all ghosts are mean, Daddy. Okay. I guess that's the lesson for this week. Not all ghosts are mean. Yeah, they're a nice ghost. Oh, we could put that on a shirt, too. <laughs> not all ghosts are mean. <laughs> I like that. Sophie right. Pepper. Is that the end of your story? And then Bug... No, Zorro... Chases the pineapple around the house. So that's the end of Because animals can see the ghosts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Animals are good at that. 
Just like people can see the ghost. Have you seen any ghosts? No. That's a good question. Have you seen any ghosts? No. Do you think there are ghosts? Hopefully not. Pineapple or otherwise? Why? You said they're not all mean. If there are pineapple ghosts, it's fine. But I don't want some random person in my house. But you said ghosts aren't mean always. Well, they're still random people. Alright. Well, what if it's not? What if it's like um, a ghost of one of our goldfish or something? That would just be creepy. But a, a walking pineapple ghost is not creepy? No. Alright. Because it's a pineapple. You're weird, dude. I'm weird. Alright. Well, that was a lovely story. Uh, I'm sorry. Was there more? No. Alright. I'm never eating pineapple again. But yes, you are. It was a lovely story. Alright. It's going to make my uh, Hawaiian pizza less Hawaiian and more just pizza with ham on it. But Canadian bacon. But that's okay. That's good, too. Well, I also wrote a story for this week. It's called Frank's Stein and Mum Eeks. With a crunch like fallen leaves, as Frank stepped back, his foot collapsed the ribcage of one of the many dead rats scattered over the barren yard like, well, like fallen leaves. No, man, that's cool, Frank said. I didn't mean to make it a thing. Uh, I'll see you at the office conference Tuesday. He turned the bill of his ball cap so it faced forward again, then turned toward the ramshackle Victorian. Even Ron Weasley's family would think was unkempt. He scratched his beard thoughtfully. Frank, wait, Mumford said. I didn't mean... But before he could finish the sentence, Frank handed Mum his beer stein and hopscotched through the moonlit, moonlit gloom around the rats and bounded up the front steps, except the middle one, which he gingerly stepped over as it was completely missing. He rapped twice on the door and slowly creaked open. And he stepped inside. The door creaked closed behind him. Damn it, Frank, Mumford said, smacking the saggy oak nearby. Feeble with age, the tree's retaliatory strike barely brushed Frank's shoulder as he turned back toward the house. I'll just be out here then, Mumford shouted. He may not know what to say, but Mumford also did not want to leave. He did, however, move three feet over to the sidewalk to avoid the odd red liquid oozing from the tree roots. There, Mumford nearly collided with Caroline, who was out for the second of her twice-daily power walks, thin arms pumping in a purple sweater which covered a rail-thin physique courtesy of power walks and only eating half bowls of soup for lunch. Headphones encircled her close-cropped white-haired head, and she regarded Mumford's wispy facial hair and perpetual look of surprise with the look of a 70-year-old woman who long ago boxed up her remaining Fs and shipped them off to someone who could use them. Excuse you, Caroline said, smiling in a way she thought might convey joviality, but clearly just masked annoyance. Sorry, Mumford said. I'm waiting for a friend. He gestured toward the house. Caroline skeptically followed Mumford's eyes. In there? No wonder you stayed outside. Well, we had an argument, Mumford unnecessarily explained. Men, Caroline mumbled and started to walk away. But then... What was that? Caroline asked. Mumford shrugged. Wind, I guess. He shifted from foot to foot. Few people know that Caroline, never married, much feared account manager for an insurance office was also an ex-crisis negotiator for various law enforcement agencies and a former UN diplomat. Are you going to apologize or what? Caroline said, shedding a little bit of light on why she may no longer be a diplomat. How do you know I should apologize? The other idiot left, Caroline said. You're still dithering around here. Obviously, you feel guilty. I do n-
I think that was a scream, Caroline said. Mumford pointed to the broken attic window. A cracked shutter on a rusty hinge banged against the house, letting out a massive squeak. Well, you might want to go check to see if everything's okay, Caroline said. Well, it's like this, Mumford said. I mean, we're friends, right? No, Caroline said, shooting for honest rather than mean. No, I mean Frank and me, Mumford said. Sure, we meme all sorts of stuff on social media. Politics, TV, student loans. But, you know, that's as far as it goes, usually. We text the deets on movie times or whatever, but in person? What's left to talk about? So, it's weird to bring new stuff up. Know what I mean? No, Caroline said, not even a little. This is getting ridiculous, Caroline said. Guess I could post something to his Jabber account, Mumford said, and held up his phone. Lightning crashed. All the lights in the house flickered, then glowed blood red. Mum, Caroline said. Get in there right now. Mumford studied the house. You think? He said. Oh, for sugar's sake. Oh, for sugar's sake, Caroline said. Hold my chai tea. She handed Mumford her cup and marched up the front steps. Mum was pretty sure she floated over the missing one. Did we mention Caroline was an, was an MMA fighter back in the days when people just called it street fighting? The restless dead in the nearby graveyard jeered Mumford somewhat less than jovially. Fine, Mum said, stumbling up the front steps. The front door squeaked open again at his approach. <coughs> Mumford stood at the threshold looking in. What he saw was the visual equivalent of the unquantifiable dread you feel after waking from a nightmare you can't quite remember. Somewhere inside, Mumford could hear Caroline shouting. Whether at Frank or at monsters, Mum couldn't tell. But it was the commanding shout of a woman who clearly needed no help whatsoever. That was good news for Mum. He considered going back out to the yard or maybe even going home. But then he remembered the disapproving dead waiting with no other agenda than to heckle him. Hey, Frank! It's Mum, Mumford whispered, then cleared his throat and tried again. <clears throat> We've been through some stuff, eh? A fourteen-legged spider devoured the ottoman. I... I love you too, man, Mumford shouted. The spider stopped scuttling and turned toward Mumford. Though he would deny it later, Mum eeked at the sight of the spider and bolted down the steps, dripping chai tea all over from one hand and beer from Frank's stein in the other hand. The corpses laughed at him all the way down. The next week, Caroline went back to mall walking. And that's our show. My thanks to Sophie, who stuck it, stuck it out for a while, but ultimately decided pumpkin bread was way more interesting than this, than this show. Thanks also to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike update theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcasters, but do remember, wherever you find it, to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, or I'll haunt your dreams. Not really, but I will be a little sad. You can also support the show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or by picking up Atari Bytes merchandise at Zazzle.com, which is still there. I keep saying it's not going to be, but it is for right now. As always, if you guys have thoughts on what sort of merch you would actually like to see, let me know, and maybe I can make that happen. Our website is ataribytes.libson.com. 
You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check us out on Instagram. Occasionally there's some weird things over there, too. And don't forget to check out my other podcast called It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown, where you can get your fill of anything related to Peanuts. You want to know about Charlie Brown, Snoopy, the Peanuts Gang, the comic strip, the TV specials, the movies, the mind of Charles Schultz himself. If it has anything to do with those things, we talked about it on that podcast on the 15th of every month. Thanks in advance for checking it out. Next time on Atari Bytes, uh, we flip the double ender cartridge around and play the other half. It's called Spike's Peak. It's going to be a good one. Or not, but, you know, it's right there, so we're going to play it anyway. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you. Oh, 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 oh,